0: to episode 68 of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. I'm Josh Havens. And I'm Chris Lambert, and we're on a journey to
1: learn what it means to live a lifestyle of discipleship. We're glad you're joining us and hope that as you set aside this time for God, that he would help you grow today in the everyday moments of
0: life. Today we have the pleasure of talking again for the third time with Andre Snavely. Andre's passionate about reaching the lost with spirit-empowered training, resourcing, and equipping for Acts Eight Ministries. As an author, missionary, and theologian, Dr. Snavely and his wife, Darla, have been in ministry together for nearly 30 years, serving in pastoral ministry and as a professor of Bible, theology, and ministry at Central Bible College and at Global University. They currently live in Springfield, Missouri, while Dr. Snavely serves as professor of theology at Continental Theological Seminary in Brussels, Belgium. The
1: United States has a very important election coming up in a little less than a week, as of this recording right now. And this election has been more polarized than any other election in U.S. history, and it has divided the church just as much as it has divided our nation. But this is unfortunate, especially given where our allegiance as Christians should truly lie, with Christ and His kingdom. So, the question we wanted to talk with Dr. Snavely about is how should we as Christians go about understanding our role in our political life in the world? And most especially, how should we react on November 4th after the election is all said and done? Because as Christians, our ultimate hope does not lie in who wins or loses the election. Because at the end of the day, we know that God is on the throne. And his will will be done. Dr. Snavely, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you. It's good to be back.
1: Welcome back. Yeah, exactly. I I should have said welcome back. Anyway, it's good to be talking to you again. We are a little less than a week out from uh, what some are calling is a major election in U.S. history. And so... Um, yeah. we thought, you know, maybe we need to talk about it like everybody else is talking about it, but, mm-hmm. uh, uh, hopefully we've got, you know, something to add to this conversation. I think we will. And if no, if for no other reason, I mean, it's, it's fun to talk about it and, uh, it
0: edifies us three, I think. So, uh, it, certainly me. Well, I was going to say, yeah. let me, let me lay, at least make a disclaimer for myself. I hate talking about <laughs> politics
2: and... You'll like this conversation about politics. I'll enjoy this
0: conversation, but as far as like engaging in my political civic duty, I'm not. That's not the most exciting thing for me, and so uh, yeah. What do Christians do with that if they're if they're feeling that?
1: Well, actually, that might be a great way to open the open the conversation up with this question: uh, Why should Christians talk about politics, or should we? What is our role? Maybe, maybe that's too big right now. You're asking me. <laughs> yeah, he's looking at me like, "Oh no, okay, I, I, we only got an hour here. Um, that's not going to be enough."
2: <laughs> well, you mentioned duty. That could be the problem right there, mm-hmm. because uh, I've been kind of refreshing myself lately in some of the people that's been uh, very influential in you know my way of thinking. Uh, particularly Stanley Hauerwas, who's taught for many years at Duke University. He's retired now, but um, been listening to some of his thoughts again about this, and it um, just really resonates at this time, especially during an election year. And uh, Hauerwas really makes a great distinction between um, the God that America serves and God, the God that Jesus declared was his father, the God that we know of through scripture. And of course, you know, this has, you know, this has tentacles that reach, uh, everywhere. And so I know we have to be kind of constrained in what we talk about here. Um, it could, we could go out down a lot of rabbit Mm -hmm. trails here, but, um, but basically, um, you know, there's been a thinking in Western theology. That you know, it's kind of the two hands of God. What we know about God through nature, what we know about God through revelation, and special revelation. Yeah, right? special, yeah, special yeah, revelation like scripture through scripture. Right. The incarnation. And so, and so, in my classes now, I, I teach at Continental Theological Seminary in Brussels, and of course, we're back now because we can't get over there. But I'm teaching my classes online now, and um, and even in uh, the classes I'm teaching. Uh, especially a homiletics class, which is preaching. We're talking about this. And um, and even in the classes like writing uh, a third-year thesis for their final uh, project, uh, we're talking about this. But um, this uh, goes back to uh, a man by the name of Friedrich Schleiermacher. And he wrote uh, really 200 years ago. It was after the Enlightenment. And, of course, in the Enlightenment, um, scholars, uh, church scholars, began to really look at Scripture uh, very objectively. And what Schleiermacher really uh, established was this dichotomy between looking at the text as like an objective observer versus what you get this meaning out of it, and then you apply it. You know, Mm -hmm. you make this application. Well, so... There's very much of a dichotomy there, but there's all kinds of dichotomies. And so, but what the the intent that Schleiermacher had was to create a Christianity. In fact, one of his books was, um, you know, Against the Cultural Despisers. So he was really, uh, after the Enlightenment, trying to create a Christianity that was agreeable, it was reasonable, uh, believable. Uh, Of course, not by the Spirit, you know, not by the Holy Spirit, but all those ways with my own human capabilities. Mm -hmm. So, you know, kind of fast forward another 200 years, and here we are today with this uh, same type of dichotomy and the same type of um, the result that Schleiermacher brought about was that so many Americans
3: believe that they can— it's kind of, I, I hate to use the word serve, but
2: right now I just don't, don't have a very a better term to say. You know, serve the God of America and serve the God of the Bible and that that's the same God. Mm-hmm. But the problem with that is, well, there's many problems, but I would, I would boil it down to the main problem is that many Christians in America today, and it doesn't even matter what tradition you're a part of necessarily, maybe some traditions um, have a better grasp of this than others, but um, that there's no real definitive line of distinction between the two, Yeah, between the church and the world. Mm -hmm. So it makes no difference. Um, You know, it's almost like who I vote for, is is my Christianity, so it's more. It's really a duty for sure. You know, going back to that word duty, that it's my Christian duty to vote. Well, in that sense, then, uh, and we've talked about this in other podcasts about Constantinianism. You know, there's no probably greater Constantinian you know expression than that that uh,
3: my Christianity compels me. Mm -hmm. Uh, to vote, and so um,
2: people like Stanley Harwas would say that you're basically equating the God that America serves with the the God of Christianity, and we know that, um, you know, really the the church has been called out of the world, Mm -hmm. and I hear a lot, you know, uh, and not to you know, not to put down
3: people who uh, proclaim this, but during an election year, it really ramps up a lot that, um,
2: you know, America is really almost like the modern day Israel or something yep. like that. That it's it's God, you know, this is God's nation. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a city set on a hill. You know, we hear a lot of those kind of expressions. And so, what that does is, it if nothing else, it diminishes the the power of the church, the power of the gospel. It it, and at the at the even more even worse, it would be confusing mm-hmm. to people in the church that um, what's our number one Christian responsibility? Yeah, maybe that's what uh, is really the where the the problem lies the most.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. And so I want to flesh that out a little bit and sort of get at the question of why that's not that, you know, what should our primary Christian responsibility be. And then maybe I think that will shed some light on it, but, uh, I, I, maybe as a way of, of getting there through this conversation, cause there's a whole lot of different paths that I, oh, that yeah. I, I kind of want to <laughs> jump on here, yeah. but I think you're, let, let's talk about this a little bit more. Cause I think a lot of people would be shocked to hear, like you just said, there's two different gods that we're serving mm-hmm. because again, I think you're right. Most Christian traditions would probably see it as no, no, no. It's just, it's God. God is God. Right. And so, um,
0: I mean, it's quite the statement to just say there are two gods, the oh, God of America and the God of Christians. Know, how, how does that even happen? Like, I, I mean, we could dig through history and, and kind of walk this back, but... Mm-hmm. That would, f- that would floor people, like you were saying, Chris. That would just floor people that that could even exist. Well, right. I think
1: it's because—and you said we see ourselves as a modern-day Israel, and I think you're right. We read Scripture, and we see God doing His work through this nation, Israel. And so I think it's understandable— Right. Uh, You know, let's let's (laughs) to use maybe what Schleiermacher's legacy. It's understandable. It's reasonable to think then that must be the way that God is using us. And then because of our uh, maybe a little bit more unique than every other culture, but I don't think you know, a complete anomaly. We see things through our American centrist lens, as we are the only real nation on earth, or the, we're oh, the yeah. only people group that really matters. So, and on so one counts. Yeah, I mean, we're the most powerful. So mm-hmm. clearly, God has. You know, put us in this position because, of course, we know that you know God sets up rulers and He takes down mm-hmm. rulers, and so if we've been for set up such for, a time for such a time <laughs> as this, for such a time as this, literally, yes. what I'm going to like, you know, we. So right. now we have just slammed all of these biblicalisms mm-hmm. into a nice, neat little phrase, and then we can spit out, "Well, well, of course, God is using us just like He used Israel," and I don't think we, and maybe see again. This is where I'm. I'm going to filter this, so I'll just comment. I don't necessarily think right Schleiermacher is out to like do anything dubious he's out to do something good in the sense that he wants to make Christianity more acceptable, more relatable, easier to accept and and I think we to your point have done the same thing with conflating our Christian identities with our American identities in this and so this has been kind of the result yeah, but I, mean, I think I yeah. think what you're you're saying Josh is right how, do, how are those two different gods then, okay. if we think they're one?
2: Well, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think Harwas helps to uh, see it this way The only way we can know the
3: God of the Bible, the God that saves us, is through the church. In fact, There is no salvation outside the church. Mm
4: -hmm.
2: So it depends on who our allegiance is to. And we know that Paul says in what, Philippians 3, 20 or 21, we are citizens of heaven Mm -hmm. from which we await our Savior, Jesus
3: Christ. So now we have kind of uh, said that that's our ultimate.
1: Yep, bingo.
2: God. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, that's really not what Paul was referring to when he was talking to the people of Philippi. Mm-hmm. And you only have to do a little bit of study of history to know about the, the city of Philippi. And uh, they would have been very proud of their Roman citizenship. Yeah. And um, Roman citizenship in the ancient world was uh, either a matter of life and death if you were, you could live. If you weren't, you could die. Yep. It was for Paul. It was exactly for Paul. Exactly. For Paul. exactly. So, um, so for Paul to say that to the people of Philippi, really saying that your citizenship of heaven really, um, no pun intended, but it trumps your <laughs> <laughs>
4: your, your allegiance to,
2: to this world. So it, it really nullifies your your citizenship in this world so christianity is all eschatological Mm -hmm. because if you know all you have to do is study the death and resurrection of jesus to know that that was something different that changed everything in fact his resurrection was really the recreation and this recreation of Jesus' body, it wasn't just the— he didn't just come back as the same man that he was before he died on the cross. This was uh, an eternal, immortal body that was spirit. Yeah. It was a spirit body. It was eschatological body. So it was like— Could and appear
0: I, in the middle of rooms out of nowhere.
2: Yeah, and I love—I really love uh, a German theologian, Wolfhart Pannenberg, uh, described it in his theology as the proleptic inbreaking of the eschaton into the present moment.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: And so that is the pattern of our salvation too, that when we die in the waters of baptism, our old man dies and we're raised back up to to live in this new life of Jesus's resurrection, his life yeah. by the Spirit. So our our lives now are a spirit life, even though our bodies are awaiting our final, you know,
0: transformation. Sounds an awful lot like First Corinthians fifteen. Exactly. That's what it's all yeah. from. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So define, so define
1: these terms just real quick before we get off of them for people yeah, that don't understand. inbreaking
0: Pro- of the eschaton.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so like we're, was, we're using okay. eschatology, and then yeah. This is
2: exciting because <laughs> it really is eternity breaking into creation.
1: Yeah. That's really what that means. Right.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, so not only that, but as we read scripture and this is what I talk about in my classes is that, um, the, the resurrection of Jesus then is the interpretive lens through which we see all of scripture, Mm -hmm. even creation. Of course, We've got a glimpse of the end because, thankfully, Scripture takes us even to the uh, to the apocalypse. So it's not that we just have this feeling; we've actually been given revelation from God in Scripture that this is how it's going to turn out at the end yeah. of time. So we have both.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, Paul describes it in Romans chapter eight that we have this spirit that bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if this spirit raised Jesus from the dead, he will also give life to our mortal bodies. So, and then you mentioned 1 Corinthians 15. So, um, really, the Christian's existence is a spiritual existence. Mm-hmm. And, but it's not just spiritual in the sense that we've made it like a dichotomy. And I, and I um, in a lot of my classes, I'll draw out uh, a chart on the whiteboard and where I have two sides that's what dichotomy show, means <laughs> yeah show both sides and we've split everything into left and right objective subjective fact feeling i mean that's what we are as westerners we are dichotomous people mm-hmm. and so it naturally um allows us and this goes back to augustine by the way um the major theologian after um you know, Constantinianism and things were kind of coming together as a culture, Christian Christianity and Western culture came together. And so he, you know, uh, and others down through church history have really uh, emphasized the two hands of God. You know, there's the natural and there's the special. There's the revealed. But so many times, and I would say the major tendency is to
3: try to form some kind of a synthesis between the two. Now, there's been a few that have,
2: um, up until recent years, uh, now there's things that are changing that's causing the the dichotomous um, framework to kind of break down, and we can thank God for that. Mm-hmm. But even before this breakdown in the dichotomous, there's been people who have... Um, really elevated the spiritual above the the material. Mm-hmm.
0: Where a touch of Gnosticism starts to slip in, and
2: well, yeah, uh, but even people, I would think, like um, like Martin Luther or mm-hmm. Karl Barth, mm-hmm. you know, not that they were, you know, Docetic or Gnostic in that sense of making the spiritual more, but it was like putting the emphasis on the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God. And of course, Bart did it differently than Luther, but uh, for those both of those theologians, it was more of a, a return back to seeing our salvation in the church. And of course, Martin Luther had these ideas of the two kingdoms—you mm-hmm. know, the kingdoms of this world and the kingdoms of Christ, the kingdom of Christ. And so, uh, but in recent years, what I'm really excited about is that. And I and I think that even this election um, allows us to see this is that there's some elements within the church that that dichotomy is starting to uh, lose its hold, mm-hmm. and we're seeing um, there's a lot of theologians and even it's it's getting down into the the churches into the preaching that it's more of a holistic view of Christianity that. Um my Christianity, I'm in a Christian twenty-four seven.
4: Yeah.
2: I don't lay my Christianity down to go over here and, and work in the political realm. Mm-hmm. You know, or I don't lay my Christianity down to go um do some business or
4: it's a
1: lifestyle of or, discipleship. <laughs> yeah.
2: It is. Yeah. yeah. And um it's uh It's day by day because if our citizenship is in heaven, like Paul says, then our allegiance can only be to the king of that kingdom, yeah, and the king of that kingdom is Jesus Christ, and he's the one that inaugurated the kingdom and uh, he reigns, you know, so there's a lot of uh, political language in the New Testament, oh yeah, and by political, really, I just mean that the church has. Jesus founded a new polis and polis just simply means city or community, um, from which we get our word, um, cosmopolitan, you know, metropolitan, political, all these, uh, come from the root word of polis. But, um, there's, there's an aspect in the church today that's really exciting. That's starting to see the church as that new community. Mm -hmm. And so what I, tell young people is that uh, it's exciting to see a younger generation coming along that uh, maybe it's because my generation, you know, it was kind of at the end of modernity and we do see modernity failing. In fact, America is the great experiment of modernity, you know, and Mm -hmm. that's just a commonly accepted today that uh, America uh, was established in 1776, and that's not ironic. It was at the very middle of the high Enlightenment mm-hmm. to where these things were being synthesized in, in Europe and in North America. And so, um, yeah, America is a result of the Enlightenment Project mm-hmm. that um, believed that there was one universal meta narrative that was for all people of all times everywhere that we could all agree together. And so Christianity simply kind of had to um, put away a lot of its distinctives, you know, for just common people to be able to be Christians, because obviously uh, everybody born in America, right, was a Christian. Yep. And so much of Europe has been that way until recent years. And so um, that's what I'm talking about is this, uh, this inability to see Uh,
3: that my Christianity uh, actually prevents me from
2: um, like a blanket acceptance of all things American.
1: Okay. So that's a good point.
2: I have to be discerning in what I take from what America hands me.
1: So let's talk about this. So, so to your point though, politics like my favorite definition from the greek right is, is of politics is just how we organize or order our lives that's right. right according to the the polis the city it's just how we organize ourselves and so again if we look at this as our christianity is supposed to permeate every aspect of our life we're creating a lifestyle of discipleship as our listeners know that is a politics so that's how christianity is political to your point though about eternity literally breaking into our reality now, this is what I like to characterize as, I like to think about it as, that is God's kingdom coming. Because then you th- it starts making sense then of all of this, in um, many times a conquering king language of Christ returning to earth, and it, it, that it, that's his kingdom coming. And so if we have eternity breaking into our reality right now, that is the, in a sense... Christ is on the move, but his kingdom is on the move uh, through his body, the church.
0: Which is what N.T. Wright describes as the good news. The good news is that the conquering king is coming.
1: Exactly. So, my question then, and let's, op- let's open up this uh, bag of worms. What would you then say to somebody who says, okay, yeah, okay, maybe, maybe, maybe. How do we know that America then
3: just isn't God's tool for ushering in that kingdom? That's, that's um, a question that we can't answer hmm. because the whole point is that we don't know.
2: Uh, and that's where God is God and we're not. But I think we've wanted to elevate America. And is that not even a
3: sense of uh, ethnocentrism that we believe we're the best? And, but
2: that's not the stance that uh, Jesus left the church. Mm -hmm. Jesus left the church, and people say, well, that was an entirely different culture. Uh, It was, you know, Rome was the dominant uh, empire of the world, you know, during that time. And, you know, Christianity started out as just like a a sect off of uh, Judaism and, you know then eventually it became its uh, its own uh faith in and of itself but it was always persecuted so you know we we don't want to go back to being persecuted but yet um but we can't um we can't dismiss that either though i think a lot of people make that distinction basically for di- for dismissal that we don't have to really think about how the how Jesus left the church. Mm-hmm. What, do you, what was the task that he left the church with? The, what was the essence of the church and the task of the church? And so uh, the task that he left the church was not to conquer, but to proclaim mm-hmm. and to proclaim the good news throughout the whole world, even to the ends of the world, to the end of the age. Mm-hmm. So this thing has a, uh, an end date set on it. And I think um I think Christians in America have um, confused their eschatology with just American nationalism, yeah, you know that they think that God is going to somehow uh use America at the end of the age to bring about the consummation yeah. of the end times and Uh, I just don't see that in Scripture because, and people say, well, you know, America wasn't, you know, established until 200 years ago, so it couldn't be.
3: Uh, But yet at the same time, um, Scripture does make it very clear that
2: the end times is going to be brought about by the proclamation of the gospel. In fact, uh, when this happens, is when God will say it's over. And what I mean by this happening is the proclamation of the gospel to the ends of the age. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, um, can, can he, and does he use nations and governments to bring about his will? Well, of course. Uh, but that's only in the the realm of the natural world Mm -hmm. and all of
3: that's going to end. And, I just simply tell people that Jesus is coming back for his blood-bought church, um, and he's not coming
2: back for America. Yeah. And I think that's disturbing for people. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. It's, grap- it's disturbing because it's so graphically plain and simple yeah. that Scripture just makes it clear that Jesus is coming back for his bride. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, and St-
3: Harwas, uh, I just listened to something to him, uh, one of his uh, videos today, and it's just so clear that all you have to do is think about what you would be willing to die for
2: and see the narrative, and then this narrative theology is exciting, too, because it allows
3: us to see a narrative as what would be the controlling, um, the controlling framework for our lives. And so Harawas helps to see that
2: America is, for most Christians, America is the controlling framework for their lives, not Jesus. Simply by asking the question, who do we expect our young people to die for? We expect, as Americans, we will send our young people to war and they will die for America. But we sure don't teach our young people how to die for Jesus. Yeah. So whose God are we really serving? That's a good point. Yeah. And that's when, when I heard that, it's just like there, there's nothing that's clearer of a distinction that we can make in our lives to show us who, who has our greatest allegiance? Yeah. Are we really citizens of heaven mm-hmm. today or do we take more pride in being a citizen of the United States?
1: And I'll tell you the distinction that helps me uh, think about this as well. And, and it's the lesson. In fact, I, I preached a sermon on the podcast recently about it, about um, the, gr- the most valuable lesson I've ever learned. And it was a lesson you taught me that the way in which Jesus lived his life has meaning for the way in which I live my life today. And when you combine the church's mandate to spread the gospel throughout the earth with the power of the of of a worldly government who above all else I think and it might be a cynical way of viewing it but I think worldly governments are really really good at only one thing and that's taking human life. Mm. Number 2 is collecting taxes. But taking human life is... Well, those are... Yeah, exactly. Those are the only two things that
2: keep them in business. Exactly.
1: And so it's almost like they don't have a choice but to then use the sword in order order to... And we've seen this repeated for 2,000 years, right? Mm -hmm. We see this repeated over and over and over again. When worldly governments take on this Christian persona, uh, this Constantinian alignment, Mm -hmm. they begin... To conquer with it, and it's being it's a conquering in the name of a God that isn't the father of Jesus
2: it's the Crusades all over again exactly it's just not we're riding on horses and wielding swords, but it's the same type of a mindset exactly that we can take over the world and here's my my problem i'm 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 facing this uh, it seems like I'm seeing it though more and more all the time um because I I have so many irons in the fire, you know, so many things going on. Um, I just uh, had a proposal accepted to present a paper at next uh, year's Society for Pentecostal Studies. Mm. And that particular conference is on, um, well, the title of it is That This Is My Body, Um, the Church's Response to uh, Global Violence Against Women. Mm. And so... I've really got myself into something here. <laughs> so, uh, but it's very personal to me. It, both of you would understand that. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I've been reading, in fact, I, I just loved your uh, podcast recently with, uh, Chuck DeGroat. Oh yeah. I, I yeah. saw the first two, listened to them. And I just thought I'm going to buy the book. So I bought the book and, uh, Darla and I've been reading through that together. And so, uh, Um, But in all of this stuff that I'm thinking about, it it seems to me like um, our number
3: one quest as humans is power. Mm -hmm. And why do people want money? You know, money, if you think about
2: it, probably doesn't have any power in itself. It's only what we attached to it the value that we place on things causes them to be worth such and such you know we see these crazy amounts of thing you know what people will spend on certain things it's only because they place that value on that mm-hmm. but ultimately i think what people really want money for is for their own personal freedom mm. to be able to do what they want to do when they want to do it and with no restrictions and uh, we see what that leads to yeah. but in in marriages uh in business in even in politics, uh this is what i I think is that uh
3: this week before the election, um, I think what should a Christian's response be on November fourth?
2: Will there be despair mm-hmm. if a person wakes up and they're
3: uh, their candidates that they voted for didn't get elected. Uh, will there be any less hope?
2: If that's the case, then anybody listening to this podcast should really reevaluate where their ultimate allegiance lies. And if you have less hope, and you could even put it on the other, put the shoe on the other foot, you know, if you wake up and your candidate did win, and now all of a sudden you really have the motivation and the energy to go out there and really do something, um, is your hope really in that? Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking now that even a week ahead of time, you know, we should wake up on November 4th just like it was any other day with no regard for who won or who lost. Yeah. because. I can tell you for one thing, my hope is not in who's going to be winning the election next week. My hope is in a resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ, because my citizenship is in heaven. And I just don't think there's anything more biblical than that, Yeah, you know, where we can place our ultimate allegiance. Of course, I say this tonight when I voted today. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, that's well, good. So I was so I say, that's good. Let know. me yeah. ask you that then. Okay.
0: What's our responsibility in voting? Do we have any responsibility?
2: That word responsibility. Yep. See, now we're back to the <laughs> beginning, right? Exactly. <laughs> I use that word intentionally. Yeah, because Yoder, John Howard Yoder says that that term responsibility is synonymous really with – one's desire for power. Mm -hmm. It's almost like a euphemism. You know, we say, well, I have the responsibility to do this. Do we really? It's a good point. You know, because oftentimes if we step back from that and really evaluate it, um, if now I'm not, I'm not abdicating Uh, irresponsibility either. (laughs) Because there are things that God gives us that we are to do in this life, and we are to take care of things as stewards. I mean, that's the way God created the world. We're supposed to be stewards of what he gives us. Yes. So there is a certain amount of, you know, I think Christian responsibility. But at the same time, um, God is the one that orders the world. So I think here's here's my mindset when i vote i vote with my christian conscience that i feel like that on this this plane of the natural world that it's only the world that christians can have a say in you know some, maintaining some kind of a biblical morality or or law you know i mean paul even says in romans chapter 13 that we're supposed to be Uh, basically submit to the powers, you know, and he, uh, but a lot of times people don't realize what he just said in Romans chapter 12.
4: Mm -hmm. So we're we're not supposed to try
2: to overthrow and be rebellious, but uh, we're supposed to allow God to be the one who has his will over the world. Of course, they were living in a time they couldn't vote. I mean, they were getting killed, you know, many Christians were getting killed at the time, uh, even in Rome. Uh, So, uh, a totally different scenario, but yet I think it still applies mm-hmm. because uh, now we have an opportunity to have some kind of a say-so in the way the world works, and I think our Christian convictions can have uh, some kind of an influence upon that. But at the end of the day, we have to uh, go back to Romans 13 and say that God is the one that's over this. Yeah. So Christians don't riot in the streets. Christians don't um, revolt when they don't get their way because our trust is is ultimately in God being the one who is over those uh, powers. Yeah,
1: and we should. They seek don't have the good. any.
2: Yeah, they don't have any powers except the powers that God gives them. Exactly. He raises them up and he takes them down. Yeah, and he can do it any time. Yeah, you know. So um, I I can separate my Christianity from that and say I have. Um, or I mean, I, I shouldn't say
3: separate. I should say that my, my Christian convictions um, govern what I do in the political world, you know. Um,
2: and so, uh, but I can, I can say I can separate it in the sense that I do that, and then when it's over, I say God's will be done. Yeah, God's will be done, you know, and so, yeah. um,
1: I don't think that's too dissimilar from how Paul used his citizenship mm-hmm. as a Roman citizen. He used right. it to his advantage right. when it you know, he came in killed. handy, Yeah, he yeah.
2: saved his life, but he didn't use
1: it many times as well.
2: But then ultimately it got him killed. <laughs> but, all,
1: but, but that, but that's the point, right? right. It wasn't, it wasn't that he ha- he kicked and bashed and right. fought and all that, you know, like, no, he
0: didn't, you know, it, it, he
2: wasn't yeah, cause, Spartacus cause or anything like says, that. I it's,
0: appeal to Caesar. Like you can just see him in the back of his mind. He's like, I could use my Roman citizenship and I could get to Rome where yeah. I can preach the gospel.
2: Isn't that what he says though? He exactly. was there in Rome. Yep. under house arrest with the guards what for the furtherance of the gospel and so you see
0: him right. leveraging his politics for mm-hmm. the sake of the kingdom mm-hmm. and this is really the one thing that's always but not know, in a power play. not in a, not, it, it, not a no, po- it's not because yeah. the kingdom of God doesn't do that but yeah' and right. it doesn't even exactly rely on that. and that's what we
1: all we have to we have to keep that in the center of our minds if we're going to because I can hear people say it, right? It's
0: like, okay, yeah. well, you're right. Let's yeah. use it for our advantage yeah. so, we so we can do it. So we to vote to uphold all the Christian values. And here's the right. thing that I struggle with. Paul talks about the government existing to bear the sword. Mm-hmm. Now, Jesus says that our, fr- our first and foremost commandment is to love God, and the second's like it, love your neighbor. And then he also says a few chapters earlier in Matthew, love your enemies. Mm-hmm. Now, I know a lot of us just brush right by that verse mm-hmm. <laughs> in the Sermon on the Mount. Mm-hmm. But if you think about what that really means, what does that mean when a Christian is standing face-to-face with Soleimani?
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Our Christian citizenship says, love the enemy who's a terrorist plotting to overthrow your country and cut, cut off your head. Mm-hmm. Or how about someone here just uh, breaking into your home or...
2: Yeah. Uh, robbing you on the street mm-hmm. or threatening your family. I mean, it's always, it always comes down to that argument. And here's what Harawas says
3: that we're a people whose story is the one we chose
2: when we, when the only story that we had was a story that we had no story.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: And so
3: Simply put, we want our freedom—freedom freedom to do whatever we want to do, whenever we want to do it.
2: Which is actually the definition that Harwaz gives for hell.
0: Hmm. That would be my definition yeah. of sin. What it is, is. is yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you want when you right, want it,
2: right? So that's why he says it's the the greatest hell he can think of. Yeah. It's because which is why I, that's the greatest love, sin. Yeah, which is why I love yeah. C.S.
0: Lewis's right. vision of what hell actually is. It's God giving you everything that you actually want.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: And the problem is you're so bent and twisted that everything that you actually want will end up making an, an eternity of hell for you mm-hmm. in and of itself.
2: So the kingdom, of, the kingdom that Jesus brought about, and going back to what uh, Chris said just a minute ago about the, the cross of Jesus being— The kingdom of God. Now, no one probably has said that better than John Howard Yoder. In fact, I just saw that in my notes this morning when I was teaching my class. So I can tell you right now, it's on page (laughs) fifty-five. Page (laughs) fifty-five.
4: Yep. I had to look it up recently. That's right. I looked it up recently. (laughs) But
2: um, yeah, the cross is not a hurdle on the way to the kingdom. Not it. It's not even the ultimate goal of the kingdom. It is the kingdom come. So we talk about Jesus coming at the end of the age on the white horse and conquering you know, the world, but we're, that's only in our hope at the end of time. How is, how is he working today through the church? How is he working today through our lives? That's what we have to really ask. Yeah. And so
3: Jesus is the conqueror, but we're not. Mm-hmm. We're the ones who's been summoned to a story that's not of our choosing. It's that God chose us,
2: and he chose us to live in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And, of course, Jesus asks us, you know, anybody mm-hmm. that would follow after him, has yeah, to, first of all, deny himself, then pick up his cross and then follow Jesus. we got a lot of people asking, you know, today, hey, I want to be a follower of Jesus. Anybody want to be a follower of Jesus? Well, yeah, if there's a lot of goodies involved,
4: mm-hmm.
2: you know, if there's power involved, if we can have a prestigious job or a position or, you know. It makes sense. Yeah, or if it it's makes reasonable. sense. Yeah, if I, can, if I can figure it all out, I'll, I'll do it. But picking yeah. up your cross and but following him. There's no reason to that.
1: No. And it also, but Jesus is the conqueror, but that's the way in which he conquers. Right. It's not a violent overthrow. He
2: he conquered violence.
1: That's right.
2: Violence is the very essence of humanity. Really?
1: Yeah, that that is what I, in my thesis, from my master's thesis, Mm -hmm. that's what I characterized as the relationship between... That That's what happened in the fall between mm-hmm. us and right. God is that we, our hearts were fundamentally set at war with mm-hmm. God.
2: Right. Rebellion. And so, yeah. exactly. I like what Gerhard Ferdi says, you know, it wasn't the fall. Yeah. <laughs> it was the upward fall. Yeah, exactly. We we ascended <laughs> to a place of rebellion, and that's what Satan's temptation was to Eve. Yep. Uh, won't you be like God? You can do anything you want. Yeah, you can do whatever you want. Yeah. Exactly. You can uh, Yeah, you can order your own life. So uh, America, people don't realize this. You know, people want American freedom, but do they really? You know, do they really? Mm
4: -hmm.
2: Look at, I just have to look as far as what I see in the news every day,
3: and you can tell that this American experiment of modernity
2: is about it. It's breaking point, mm-hmm. and there's people projecting that into the future we're going to see even more of this, this clash, and really it's a clash between two human ideologies. All you have to do is study uh, political science and go back as far as um, you know Adam Smith and um, Hobbes and you know others that were you know writing in the you know 16th 17th 18th centuries about you know this development of this new uh you know freedom and democracy and capitalism you know max weber and other people um that um one can almost see i mean there's that that individual freedom and democracy and then there's the group um identity and marxism mm-hmm. and that's what we're seeing clash today in america and really this election next tuesday is a uh, is probably the most graphic clash between the two that I've seen in my lifetime. Yeah. And most everybody's saying that, too. Mm-hmm. And so, but, but you think about it, um, this will really probably, uh, you know, really great on some people, but capitalism is a human invention. It's a human ideology, as much as Marxism is a human ideology. Yep. It's not biblical yes you know and so um that's where we should be as a church and it's sad that our political system has devolved down into two human ideologies that are so far apart in fact they're they're at opposite ends yeah and so uh, we have this horrible divide in the united states but i wonder if it's a time for the church to really be the church yes and it can only be the church when the church says, we're not going to identify ourselves with either one. Bingo. Because the gospel
0: condemns both. I think the struggle that we see, though, is that there are things that we value in both of those parties. There and are some so things the, in, in any exactly. one. Right. The far left that wants to protect the community, that wants to protect the, the downtrodden and the oppressed. Mm-hmm. That resonates with Christians. Yeah. The right that wants to value individual liberty and freedom mm-hmm. to do whatever you want to do. In a sense, Christ came to bring us freedom. Now It's yeah. freedom in Christ, right yeah. which is different. Being a slave to Christ exactly. is not. the same as being free to do whatever you want. But there are values on both sides that we resonate with, and mm-hmm. so I think sometimes we look at, well, we've got to advance the kingdom well, this side represents the value that the kingdom has. We must have to side with them to, to bring about the kingdom then. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess I should vote this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah.
1: But that, again, that goes all the way back to your point about serving two gods, is we compromise mm-hmm. because we say, well, the, this party, this ideology has more in common with what the Bible says, so I guess that's where my allegiance should lie. In this issue, mm-hmm. right? I mean, oh yeah, ultimately, I mean, I'll go back home and, and I'll read my Bible, but yeah. y- this ideology lets me go back home and read my Bible most freely. Mm-hmm. And so that's the one I'm going to align myself with. You know, the other thing that I, fi- I find funny about this whole thing, especially capitalism and and freedom, which I love, by the way, because yeah. I'm, a, I'm a good red-blooded American. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> again, that's that's where I'm having to be, uh, you know, the Lord is having to, to sanctify me out that's of, right? right? Um, I, I can recognize my own tendencies, but you're right it's self-defeating though it's a self-defeating ideology, and we've talked about this because Marxism is as well, mm-hmm. but like i we we so overlook the self-defeating nature of freedom and capitalism because in in many ways, right if that's what America has been founded on in our hyper individualistic um you know uh hopes, this is the result mm-hmm. is we develop we create a system in which it's its own demise well, because it's free we're we are free. To do what we want. Right. And so we can, we can subjugate ourselves freely out of freedom.
2: And, you know, and, <laughs> and it really reminds me that the church is the only institution that's guaranteed never to fail. That's true. Governments, like you say, the failure is built in. Mm-hmm. Why? Because they're human. Yes. And God never promised that they would never fail.
0: Yeah, we have a hard time thinking yep. about the fact that America one day will not exist yes. anymore. Yeah. Well,
1: I watched a yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is related. But I watched a documentary on, it's on Netflix about social media and like, how did we get to this place where social media mm-hmm. is tearing our human natures apart? And so we're like, well, it's got to be technology. Or it's because we're manipulating each other. It's because, and I'm like, no, it's because it magnifies the, everything about us that is human.
2: Right. And it gives everybody the the freedom to express their own. They don't have to be a part of really a community.
1: Exactly. It's two, all an illusion.
2: Two people can be a community now. Yep. One person can be a community. That's true too. Yeah.
1: And and you are making connections with hundreds and thousands of people, mm-hmm. right, that we're not equipped to really deal with, you know, on a day-to-day basis. And so yeah, it's and, just, right. it's an information machine that can Every, we can all just go and say whatever we want, whenever we want, mm-hmm. with whomever we want. It can be an echo chamber. It can tear your soul apart. We can bully people. Like Everything that is the worst part of our humanity, mm-hmm. our sinful uh, nature, is just magnified on yeah, these things. Yeah, it's just the
2: ultimate fragmentation of society when each individual is allowed to express themselves and, you know— yeah.
1: Speaking of government, so that's why one comment, one radio uh, commentator I was listening to said the best kind of government is a dysfunctional government because mm. at least they can't get things done fast. That's like right. well, the best, <laughs> no. the, the most functional are
0: dictatorships. That's, right. <laughs> that's one of very things, efficient. Exactly, <laughs> that's one of the things that I really appreciate about our church. Mm-hmm. We've had uh, our pastor Chase Replogle on the pod- podcast very, very early. One of our church values is institution.
1: Oh yeah. How many churches do
0: that? <laughs> like, mm. yeah, how many churches do you go to, and you're like, "Oh yeah, we value institution, yeah. <laughs> the institution of the church." And so when I first heard, yeah. when I first heard him say that, I was like, "What? Where in the world are you going with this?" But it made sense.
2: He must have had ecclesiology back a few years ago. We
0: have <laughs> fallen so. fundamentally broken human natures mm-hmm. that end up doing things mm-hmm. that aren't right. Right. Having roadblocks and speed bumps, and this thing that we call institution to slow things down Mm -hmm. actually keeps us from doing bad things well see that's why that's why stanley (laughs) harwa
2: says that um you know we should make it really difficult for people to get married in the church and it's a good thing too that we have witnesses to um in the church at weddings to remind people of the commitments they made when they didn't know what they were doing.
1: Yeah. Amen to uh-huh. that.
2: He also said one of my favorite lines I quoted
1: often, uh, you always marry the wrong person, right. <laughs> especially the second time. <laughs>
2: And he would know
1: <laughs> And so, uh, yeah, you you know,
2: <laughs> you're always going to think it went wrong somewhere eventually, yeah. and so and the, and he said, uh, too, you know, when you have kids, you always have the wrong ones, that's <laughs> true. <laughs> so but what he's uh driving home is the point that you know we really don't make our own best decisions anyway. Mm-hmm. I mean, whoever has an ability in their whole lifetime. To me To be able to make decisions that they know they'll never regret, yeah I mean you can't live long enough to be guaranteed that you know to tomorrow when I wake up i'm going to make perfect decisions all day long mm-hmm. now that i'm reached this age and I should have a little bit of wisdom and experience in life, and so it just guarantees and so um, when we're young is when we make the most uh, radical decisions that affect all of our lives. Mm-hmm. You know, so what he's saying is that it's only the community of the church that can really shape us into the people who make good decisions.
4: Mm.
2: Because on our own, we will be bumbling through it all the time. Yeah. And so when we're accountable to people as a, as a fellowship and a, as a community, and that's why he says too, And it really bothers me today when uh, people can think that they're a Christian, they're living a good Christian life, and they're so totally detached from any church. Mm -hmm. I mean, you cannot make good spiritual decisions about your life when you've detached yourself from other Christians who can pour into your life and you can bounce things off of, you Mm -hmm. know.
1: It's a community, and we yeah, have to be working to be out our salvation
2: yeah. within that context. And so, you got to walk with someone. That's right. I think this um, this whole thing even goes toward uh, politics. You know, um, there's people who are, you know, starting to see that, I, and I think it really is just last election and this election that it's become so manifest. And you know, we could look at it as really a bad thing you know it's unfortunate that our country's so divided and there's so much vitriol spewed out on both sides toward each other but you know i kind of look at it in a different way i'm thinking you know the church is going to be strengthened eventually through this mhm it'll have to be yeah because <laughs> we don't have any choice that's right we're going to have to become stronger we're going to have to be clear about who we are as a church and i think it's a, i think it's a great day i think the future is great for the, for the church, if even, we, even on November 4th.
1: <laughs> absolutely. If, um, to your story about making mistakes, I am always encouraged to think about Abraham and that no matter how badly we mess up, and we will mess up and we will make mistakes and we will have regrets, mm-hmm. uh, that is how big and faithful God is, is to oh, work yes. all of those things out. Mm -hmm. according to his plan and purpose. And so um, we can
2: even work uh, good things, even through bad events. That's
1: right. His Mm -hmm. grace is so sufficient for us, even in those moments. Powerful. Um,
0: So, yeah. Let me ask you this as a way of kind of getting toward the end. Okay. What would you say to people who are waking up November 3rd? How should they go about
3: thinking about the day as a disciple? Of Jesus Christ let your conversations be about the kingdom of God Mm. I know we get pulled into the other conversations every
2: day in in this kind of environment but I found it very helpful for myself because I'm pulled I I'm intrigued by it all you know
3: I'm intrigued by economics And I probably let it um, in to my mind too much.
2: But thankfully, I'm in a profession that I I can't allow it too much. (laughs) So I'm kind of safe, you know. But yet, uh, for most people who don't study theology and teach theology every day, or they're not preparing sermons for Sunday every day, you know, uh, they're out there in the world. And, you know, your question really is appropriate um, for just life in the world today. But I think, I think if we can allow ourselves, this is why scripture is so important and community is so important and worship together as a community is so important because if we put those things in our minds, we're going to be better able to go out into the world, and on a daily basis, on our job, in our families, and at the marketplace, no matter where we go, we can fall back on our default mode, which that's okay, you know, to memorize some scripture, to get some of these concepts in our mind to where we can, we can turn a conversation just within a sentence or two back to what really matters. And people need to hear that in the world today. People Mm -hmm. are hopeless. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can't even imagine how hopeless people will be on November 4th. That's true. Because they have placed all of their hope in one of these two candidates. And I mean all of their hope. They will be absolutely in despair. Mm -hmm. So what are we to do? We are to be a light. And we can be a light. We can be... Uh, a light, and this, this is why I'm saying this is a good day for the church because the church can really preach the gospel at a time like this. Now, unfortunately, there's probably a lot of pastors that have relegated the gospel to, uh, you know, they'll probably pick it up at Advent. Well, maybe by Thanksgiving. They'll be back at the gospel again. But they've had to put the gospel aside for a while and preach this uh, other kingdom that has other gods, other lords, and I don't think that helps the people going about their daily lives of how to live the gospel, uh, speak the gospel in their everyday lives. So I think especially as, as ministers, uh, we should try to, you know, help people
3: even on that day. Mm-hmm to be able to go about their lives as citizens of heaven. And
2: you'll get some strange looks, I know. I've had those strange looks, you know, where someone's talking about
3: something and, and I'll just say something, you know, that's about the gospel, you know. And the first reaction is, you know, a lot of times is, where did that come from?
2: <laughs> you know, yeah. How did this conversation turn? Yeah. You know, but yet, uh, I think we're, we're primarily to be a witness, mm-hmm. and that's what Jesus left his disciples with: "You will be my witnesses." Mm-hmm. So, and sometimes, if that's all we have, that's okay, Absolutely. because we know if all we have is a witness, then we're doing exactly what Jesus instructed us to do, anyway.
4: Yeah.
1: And if that means we look peculiar,
2: yep. that we are, we
1: are called to be. Yep, exactly. Yeah. I would encourage you guys to go back and uh, listen to some of our past conversations with like uh, Paul Borthwick and uh, Don Everts on how to have some of these spiritual conversations and to witness... Uh, a little bit more naturally in your everyday life. I think these are going to come in uh, really big handy. It's a skill. You have to learn it. Um, You'll feel funny, but, uh, I mean, we're always peculiar, but it will become a more and more natural process. And I'm speaking as a student here, not in any way as a master. So I am definitely needing the same kind of learning for sure. I
0: will point out the one thing that I really enjoyed from uh, our conversations with Everts was the finding that people actually enjoy spiritual Mm -hmm. conversations. Even people who aren't devout Christians enjoy yeah. spiritual conversations. That's what that's what his research showed. So, for what it's worth, objectively speaking, if well, we've got about the it, good news. I <laughs> mean, people ought to enjoy hearing good news, and so people just enjoy. Well, and it's hope. Feel best we're hope. hungry for it. Yep, we're
1: hungry for something. Beyond what this world has to offer us mm-hmm. and again that's why we we are so terrified for November 4th and then how long this is going to drag on through the next year is because mm-hmm. we don't we don't have any hope we don't believe yep. in it and uh, so yeah you're absolutely right this is the time to get out there and to uh, begin having these conversations yep. everywhere we go make disciples that's right um Dr. Snavely, thank you so much for being with us. I've
2: enjoyed this tonight. We could sure
1: keep talking. I have some stuff that I I wanted to run by you still, but uh, we'll have to do it uh, off recording, I think, and uh, maybe save it for our follow-up conversation that Josh and I have as well. So um, uh, where can people go to, you know, follow you and, uh, you know, contribute to your work? Well,
2: I'm going to be developing more things in the future. And uh, so we have a website right now, uh, snavelymissions.org. So you can go to that website. you know, we have a page on AGWM, uh, symbols about World Missions. And um, we have a Facebook page, Andre Darlis Snavely. That's our missions page that we reserve just for our work in Europe. And so um, you can go to that Facebook and get updates once in a while and uh, quarterly newsletters that we send out. And um, and hopefully in the future there will be, you know, a little bit more variety as, you know, uh, we expand in different areas. So.
1: Great. And we will link to everything in the show notes, like always, guys, so you can go down there, click on them, and go check out what Dr. Snave doing. Some really great work. Thank you so much for being with us again.
0: How can you create a lifestyle of discipleship? Most Christians think discipleship is a program or a few practices thrown in at the beginning or end of the day. But we want to help you create a lifestyle where walking with Jesus throughout the day is not only possible, but natural. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. To find out more about Andre's work, check out snavelymissions.org. If you like what you've heard this week, give us a review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast player you use. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to stay up to date on everything happening at Daily Growth Discipleship, go to dailygrowthdiscipleship.com and subscribe for free. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify.